Good morning. I am 90% back with my voice, so I have been avoiding as much conversation as I can, which for an extrovert is not easy. So if I haven't talked to you, you should be offended. Not really. It's been my self-preservation. I do welcome you to worship today. Um, my father used to get laryngitis, and I didn't understand it until I experienced the bout of it that I've had this time. Um, I've lost my voice maybe for a day or two before, but this has been about a week, and I'm almost back. I appreciate um, people's prayers and concerns. We lifted up Regina in our prayer time. I want to be very clear about that. She got her COVID shot on Friday. She always has a very, very strong reaction to it. She's doing really well today. She'll be around later, but just do hold her in prayer. If you notice, we continue to hand out our weekly guides. I want to say just a word about them. They give you the opportunity on the one side to see the points of the scripture and to take notes. On the other side, they give you some major things that we learn in the chapter along with an outline and then some study questions. If you are involved with a home group, these also become the guides that we use for our home group. We also use them with a pastor's Bible study later this afternoon. Our desire is not just to come to worship and believe that that somehow is enough in our spiritual life. That would sort of be like saying, I'm going to um, eat once a week for breakfast on Thursday morning, and that's going to sustain me. God's Word is something for us to understand and know and have it transform our lives. Amen? Amen. And the way that we do that is by going in depth. You're encouraging words also, hopefully you notice as they get sent to you each week, all come out of the scriptures that we're using on Sunday morning. So our desire is to take these, these gospel readings or whatever text we're using on Sunday and help us to really understand them. It's always easy if you want to know, okay, how do I get prepared for next week? Just read the next chapter of Mark's gospel. That'll also get you prepared. And that's our intent as we go forward. Whenever we're in a sermon series, we're going to always have a study guide, um, notes to go along with, things to continue reading through the week, and ways in which you can continue to absorb the scripture, because it has nothing to do with what I say. I'm just a human being doing my best of trying to take God's word and read it together with you. It has nothing to do with a human being. I don't have any kind of wisdom to come up here. I'm 63 years old. I'm so smart, I lost my voice and I kept talking, okay? Don't take my advice on how to live your life. Let's get to the Bible and understand God's word transforms us. So this morning as we're looking at Mark chapter 7, we're really looking at the question of authenticity. That's really what I see in Jesus' whole um, interaction with people in this chapter. Now, authenticity is incredibly important in our faith, and we're going to talk about that. But I'd like to also just give an uh, acknowledgement of the last couple weeks. Two weeks ago, Azekai preached an amazing sermon here. Thank you, Azekai. You did a wonderful job. There was an authenticity about his faith and also about his love of certain preachers that he listens to. And if you listen to it, you got some sense of who Ezekiah was. Last week, Pastor David did an awesome job for us. Thank you, David. Again, you got to see his authentic self of who he is in trusting Christ. 
You also got to hear a little bit about how he loves teaching and pop culture and literary figures. So, you know, Azekai gives us pastors he listens to. David gives us literary figures. I tried to think of who do I think of when I think of authenticity. Best I could come up with was, if we could have the slide, please, the crusher. <laughs> now you got Pastor Scan this week. Now, does anybody who know who the crusher is? I feel bad for you. Have any of you ever watched World Wrestling? It's now World Wrestling Entertainment. Before it was that, it was World Wrestling Federation. Well, before that, it was the real thing when I was a kid growing up in North Dakota. And DeCrusher was an amazing guy. He sounded like I do today all the time. I was going to imitate his gravelly voice, and then God gave me the gravelly voice. He never sounded like a normal person. He was a figure who was from South Milwaukee. And if you read about him, he was a well-loved and beloved Midwest figure who we just couldn't wait when we turned on Saturday Night Wrestling, hoping that Da Crusher was going to be there, talking to us like that. Never talked in a normal voice. <laughs> he had an amazing persona, or so I thought, but it came across as totally authentic. It, it was like... He really sounds like that's who he is, and he was the wrestler who made Milwaukee famous. And yes, he carried, sorry to all of my friends, myself included, who were in recovery, but yes, he carried a big beer stein on his shoulder, and he was known for that. Now, the other thing about DeCrusher is he wanted to be a wrestler from the time he was 13 years old, and he started preparing for it. A few years ago, I thought about my friend DeCrusher. I remember the, the night that there was a, a cage match in Fargo. That was all that we talked about all week in school. Is DeCrusher going to win in this cage match in Fargo? Because everybody loved him. And I thought about him, and I thought about how authentic he came across, but obviously he was nothing more than an actor. So I read about him, and do you know what I learned? DeCrusher was DeCrusher. He didn't put on a show. He just was a guy that he is. He actually lived in South Milwaukee. He made a whole bunch of money. He still lived in South Milwaukee. He was just a guy who was a blue-collar character who had served in the U.S. military, who loved wrestling his whole life, and he even spoke the way he spoke. And the reason those of us who were kids who liked him so much is because he just is who he is. That's the statue that now is in South Milwaukee, because he was so loved in the neighborhood, because you know what usually happens. You make some money, you get famous, you forget about all the people that you knew. Not the crusher. He just was a guy that he was who grew up in a neighborhood, who loved the kids in the neighborhood, who was married 50-some years, had a, just a basic normal life. He just liked to be a wrestler. There's something about authenticity, isn't there? And it's rare in our world. And unfortunately, it tends to be rare among Christians. Why do I say this matters? Because Barna recently did a study of high school students. Did you know that 50% of high schoolers in America want to learn more about Jesus? That's shocking. Do you know what keeps them from doing it? They see Christians as being nothing but hypocrites. The word hypocrite means actor. We dress up one way and act one way, but really our lives are something different. And they find that because Christians are only interested in religion and not an authentic faith, 
It keeps them from exploring the Christian faith, even though it's something they're interested about. So if you want to make a difference in the world and you want to have a difference in your life, let's commit ourselves to be authentic. Let's commit ourselves to not making up stuff and telling other people things that we don't do ourselves or really put into practice ourselves. Let's learn to have more of a decrusher faith so that we are the people that we really are. That's what I read in Mark chapter 7. First, these religious leaders, they come and they meet Jesus. But you know what happens? They have an opportunity to meet Jesus, but they become all consumed with religious rules. Man, do they miss about All they can see is what people are doing, and they miss the guy who's standing right in front of them. Next, as we read, Jesus points out that it isn't rules that matters. It's how we treat people. He says, it's not the stuff out there that defiles us anyhow. It's what's in our heart. Amen? Hear that loud and clear. It's what's in our heart that defiles us. If I'm filled with anger and rage and jealousy and always wanting to get ahead and tear somebody else down and worrying about what somebody else does, I'm not living an authentic faith. I'm trying to just promote myself. And so Jesus looked at that. And then next, there's this Syrophoenician woman, an outcast from the religious folks of Jesus' day. And she has quite an encounter with our Savior. We're going to talk about that. And finally, Jesus heals a guy, a guy who can't talk. And then he looks at all of his friends and he says, you know, I don't want you to tell anybody. I don't want you to tell a single soul what you saw today. We're going to hear why Jesus told them that and why that has to do with our authenticity of who we are as Christians. In order for us to understand an authentic faith, which is the only kind of faith worth having, folks, if our faith faith is a fake faith, it's not worth it. Like, what are we doing here Sunday morning? It's, It's not, it doesn't mean anything. But once we understand that God wants to have a relationship with us, and faith doesn't mean we have all the answers. Faith means faith. It doesn't mean knowledge. It doesn't mean I'm better than you. It means I trust, and I trust God, and I trust that God cares about every one of us. It has to begin, if it's authentic, with a purpose. And the only purpose to have a faith is to get to know Jesus. Hear me? To get to know Jesus. Let's let that sink in, folks. That's the only reason to have a faith. If I have a faith because somehow I think that it's going to make me better than someone else, that ain't an authentic faith anyhow. If I have a faith that says that I'm in and you're out and I like to be on the cool side and I like to sit with the cool kids at the lunch table, that's not a faith. If I want to have a faith that says I can go to the altar every week and I can pray and Jesus is going to put an anointing on me that nothing's going to happen to me, but it's going to happen to everybody else. Guess what, folks? That's not in the Bible. We deal with life on life's terms and we learn that God can get us through everything when we build a relationship with Jesus. And that's what an authentic faith is. That's what the religious leaders missed. We heard Pastor David read the story. They had the opportunity of a lifetime Now, let's be honest. I'm going to take a quick poll here. How many of you would like to have an afternoon where you could sit down and talk to Jesus face to face? Come on, raise your hands. Absolutely. They had that. What an opportunity. Jesus is sitting there. The religious leaders walk in. They get to talk to Jesus. Consider the potential. Pharisees gathered to him with some of their their scribes but they completely missed the opportunity. Hear that? 
Jesus is there. They walk in. They're there with the scribes. They can ask him any question. They can get to know him. They can listen to him. They can become his friend. He's completely available. Verses 2 to 4. Then they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that had been defiled. It was unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they gave their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they didn't even eat anything unless they would wash their hands. And they observed many other traditions, such as washing cups and pitchers and kettles. And folks, this was not washing your hands before a meal because of germs. This was, we got a way to do things that makes us in and everybody else is out. And they looked at Jesus. They had an opportunity to talk to Jesus. And instead they said, you know, the candles on that altar, they're a little bit, a little bit crooked here, folks. I can't worship God. Ooh, I feel so much better right now. Then they looked around, they said, there are cords over, come on, I can't, I can't worship Jesus, there's cords in my alt- on the altar, there's this crazy tape sitting here, I'm out of here, I'm going to go become a Baptist, I'm sorry, that's it. <laughs> that's what they did, they looked at everything else, and they missed Jesus. An authentic faith is about getting to know my Savior. It's you knowing the guy that I know so he can do for you what he's done for me so you can tell somebody else what he's done for you so our world can be changed and we can get a little bit of peace in our lives. Do you know we all have pocket Bibles? We tell you about that so often. They're great. I can take my pocket Bible and I can open it up and I have a, I have a special app on here. I can read the Bible. Anywhere I go, I can read God's Word. There's a problem with these pocket Bibles, though. They have email and text messaging, and you can surf the web. And if that's not bad enough, they've got cameras on them. Do you know what the problem with the cameras on? People sit around, they do this. (laughs) Man, do I look good. i got to brush my hair here. I shave for this this service today. I look good, don't I? Time to take my selfie. (laughs) Do you know what happens when we do that? We miss life. We miss exactly what's going on right in front of us. When I had David as a little kid, I used to notice something. Everybody walked around with camcorders. And they would take pictures of everything, and they would miss what was happening. Their kid would hit a home run. They wouldn't even see the home run because they were too busy playing around with that camcorder trying to make sure that that film that they were never going to look at any time in the future was there for them. And that's what the Pharisees did. And folks, that is not an authentic faith. The Bible teaches us that an authentic faith is when we make getting to know Jesus number one and everything. That's our purpose. But how much other stuff do you and I get caught up with? How many times does everything else get in our way? How many times does we have an opportunity to see somebody we haven't seen for a long time? Bible teaches us that we see God in everyone, and so even if we don't like that relative, that crazy uncle who says those crazy things that we already know they're going to say, and we got all distracted with fighting and going to the same fights we went to before, all the while missing what's right in front of us. I had an old minister tell a story one time. He said he had a children's sermon. And he said he called the kids up 
And the kids were all sitting there, and he said, I want you kids to answer a question. What's brown and bushy? It's got a big tail and climbs trees. Little boy raised his hand, couldn't keep his mouth shut, and he said, Jesus. (laughs) And the minister said, Jesus? He said, that's the only reason we're here, Pastor. We don't want to hear about a dumb squirrel. How many times are we focused on that dumb squirrel? The Bible teaches us that if we want to have an authentic faith, let's realize it's great to get together with people. It's great to worship. And we have the best coffee in Plymouth. And we can have it before we come and worship, but so that we can hear about our Savior. And we can learn who He is. And we can draw closer to Him. Because that's what the Bible wants us to understand. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son I love Jesus. He changed my life. And he continues to change my life. And he amazes me. And I don't have to look for him every week. He's just there. I don't have to look for him this morning. He's just there with me every day. A couple weeks ago, I woke up and I had a really awful morning. And something really troubled me. And I talked to my friend Jesus about it. I said, Lord, this really bothers me today. And I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I gave it to him. I talked to some people, but I gave it to Jesus. And later this afternoon, a guy that I've never met in my life called me on the phone and he said, Hi, is this Reverend Cushing? I said, Yes. He said, I have something that I think I can do to help you with. And it was the exact answer to the thing that I'd asked Jesus for. That's a nice guy who called me, but that's my Savior Jesus who told that guy to call me. When you and I have a relationship with Jesus, we start seeing that in our life. We don't just see coincidences. We don't just see things happen. We don't just live coincidentally. We start realizing that Jesus wants to be Lord of our life. He wants to be everything. Because once we get that right, everything else falls into place. Because when you and I understand that our Savior is first, the, the cords don't matter anymore. The candles don't matter All the stuff that we get caught up with doesn't matter because we have a relationship with the one who in our text tells us that the Pharisees missed him, they saw everything else, and we're invited back to put the priority in the right place so that our faith is authentic. I heard it said this way years ago, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. Once we put Jesus on the throne of our life, and that's what we're inviting ourselves to do today, put Jesus first. Understand that all our faith and all the stuff that we do doesn't mean anything if it's not focused on getting to know the one who gave his life for you and to me, the one who puts the Holy Spirit in our lives, the one who carries us through those awful times when we go, I don't know how I'm going to face this. I'm privileged as a pastor. I get to see people go through stuff that I don't think anybody should ever go through. And do you know what I hear people say? It's okay. My Savior's carrying me through. Think of a woman who is a really good friend of mine who passed away of cancer in my last church. I used to visit her twice a week. One day, her husband came to me and he said, my wife gets too tired. I don't want you visiting her anymore. I said, okay. Next thing I know, my friend Bob calls me up on the phone. He goes, Pastor Stan, I need to get together with you. I said, okay. He said, I made a huge mistake. I said, what's that? 
He said, my, pa- my wife asked me, why aren't you visiting her anymore? My pastor visiting me anymore. And I had to tell her because I told you not to because she was getting too tired. And he said, she said to me, I don't care what you do. I want my pastor back visiting with you every single week. Amen. Now, you may say, oh, that's so that I could encourage her. No, that was so she could encourage me. When I would go and visit with her, we would talk and I would always pray with her and I would always walk away and say, wow, is God faithful and good. And she said to me, I could not get through what I'm going through if it wasn't for my Savior Jesus who's with me every day. Don't worry about me, Pastor Stan. I feel awful about my two little granddaughters because they're not going to be there because I'm going to pass away from this cancer. It's now terminal and it's taken my life. But I'm okay. I feel bad for others. And she had a peace and a glow about her that I will never forget. Because once we understand that an authentic faith has to have one purpose, and that's Jesus, and to get to know him. But then, we got to have a priority. That's great to say, oh, that's it, I got it, Jesus is number one, and then we go out and we do absolutely everything else. The priority's got to be honesty, folks. Jesus was a very honest man. Our Savior came into this world and named sin. And a lot of Christians get uncomfortable with that and say, say, you can't talk about sin today. Are you kidding me? Jesus talks about sin all the time. We are sinners, folks. We do wrong. We sin in thought, word, and deed. We hurt ourselves. We offend God. We do stuff that makes us feel bad and separates us in how we should be living our lives. And left to ourselves and our own devices, we would make a mess out of everything. But once we can be honest about that, once we can look at ourselves the way Jesus looks at us and look at others the way Jesus looks at them, and when somebody says, oh, you're telling me I'm a sinner? Go, absolutely, you're a sinner. So am I. Welcome on board. Because that's who we are. And once we can learn to have that kind of honesty, then God can start dealing with the junk in our lives. I'd like to take my car to the mechanic and have a flat tire, or better yet, brakes that are going, and take it in, and instead of the the mechanic saying, that's going to cost you $600 for new brakes, have them say, your car's fine. Don't worry about it. Just go drive it down the road really fast and slam on your brakes right before you get to somebody. You'll be okay. I saved myself $600, and I get in a bad wreck. But somehow we think in our lives that if we're just dishonest and we're not truthful about stuff, that our lives are going to get better. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that Jesus opens up our heart and uncovers all of that stuff that we're dishonest about so we can have an honest look at ourselves, honest look at one another and the things that are wrong in our lives. If you don't believe it, look at the exchange that we read in verses 24 through 30. Where a Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and asks for her daughter to be healed of a demon. Syrophoenician doesn't mean anything to us today, but it would have in the first century because these were people who were Gentiles who were not exactly getting along with the Jews of the day. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, when Matthew describes this woman, he calls her a Canaanite. Canaanites were the enemies when the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt and they enter into the land of Canaan. These are the people who want to take them down. Think Goliath. Y'all know the story of David and Goliath? These are the big taunting people who are like, your God is nothing 
And the people had learned over the years that they didn't like each other. That's one of the problems we have in this world. We have people we don't like and we act like we do. I had a friend one time who came to me, talked to me. He said, I'm really struggling with something. And he was describing his relationship with his parents. And I finally looked at him. I go, you don't like your parents. Guy got really mad at me. A week later, he came back and he said, thank you, Pastor Stan. I don't like my parents. I said, now what are you going to do about them? He goes, what do you mean? I said, you love your parents, don't you? He said, absolutely. The rest of his life, he had a much better relationship with his parents. Because once he could be honest about his feelings and what was going on, now there's an opportunity to work with something. But as long as he's walking into every single relationship, acting like it's going to be different than it was the day before, and never being true about anything, he wasn't being very Christ-like. See, if we can't be honest, if we can't be what we're going to see how Jesus treats and talks to this woman, we've got a problem. Because again, all we are is hypocrites. And the Bible uses the word hypocrite, which means an actor, which means we dress one way, but there's something else going on inside, so our outsides don't match our insides, and we become miserable, because that is no way to live a life, and that's not what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you and with me. The Holy Spirit wants to transform our insides so we get better, so we become honest, so when we can be honest, we can start looking at the world through Jesus' eyes and not our own. And that's the next thing that we see in this story. Because this woman comes to Jesus and he says, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. And right there what Jesus had acknowledged was the problem between these Canaanite or Syrophoenicians and Jewish people of the day. They called each other dogs. Like, we don't like you. You're nothing more than a little mutt running around nipping at my, my toes. And our Savior named it. He put it right out there for everybody to hear. People struggle with this text. The woman realizes that he said that about her. And she says, even the dogs eat the table scraps that are thrown on the floor. And Jesus is able to say, right answer. Your faith has healed your daughter. What Jesus was able to do at that moment is say, your people and my people don't like each other. You're coming to me and having a conversation with me. Let's not pretend that somehow there's not an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room by the very fact that we're having a conversation. Forget the fact that she's a Syrophoenician woman. Here's a Gentile woman coming to talk to a man who's Jewish in the first century. Right there, he'd be like, I have nothing to do with you, and turn and walk away. But not Jesus, he names the truth. He says, let's be honest about the situation we're dealing with. You have a need, and if you didn't have that need, you wouldn't even be talking to me in the first place, because your people and my people don't like each other. One of the great days of my life was the day that my first child was born. July 27th, 1989. Regina and I went into the hospital the night before, and things went really well. I always call it the perfect delivery. Regina says, that's because you didn't have to go through it. I did. <laughs> but really, everything went well. And we had a beautiful, healthy baby at the end. David was born at 1.01 in the morning on July 27th. 
I stayed around for a while, and I finally left the hospital and left my wife wired and excited because I was a first-time dad. And I drove home. We're living in Lowell, and I drove by my church, and I thought, I've got to tell people. But you know what the problem is with having a baby at 1 o'clock in the morning? Everybody's asleep. Nobody really cares that you had a baby at 1 in the morning, and now it's 3 o'clock. So I went into the church, and we had a big sign out front, and we had those little metal letters that you can put on it, and I put these words. It's a boy, 7 pounds, 11 ounces, born 101 a.m., July 27th. And now I went home, and the entire town was asleep. And I thought, I am going to sleep well tonight. And I got to sleep about 4.30. And I woke up with an amazing night's sleep, and it was 7 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at my clock, and I couldn't believe it, because I was wired. I mean, you think I'm wired this morning? I was wired. I just had my first baby, folks. And I was like, I am a dad. I am, I am so excited. I need to go see the baby, but first I'm going to go get some money. So I drive over to Market Basket, which is right down the road. And I go in, and it's probably now 8 o'clock in the morning, and courtesy counters open there. We didn't have ATMs back there. And I took my check, and I got my money, and I thought I need to have some money when I get up to the hospital in case Regina needs something, and I'm all excited. And I go in the car, and I back up the car, and I almost run a lady over. And I go forward, and I back up again, and I almost hit her a second time. <laughs> and I stop, and I look, and I back up, and this time I almost hit her a third time. She bangs on my, tr my trunk on my car as I try to get out of there, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And now I just sit and let her leave. I get in my car, I drive to the, car, the hospital. I go up and I hold my baby. I'm a new dad. I'm excited. This is great. This is the day of my life. And I said to Regina, I remember the first thing I said, I said, he keeps kicking the blanket off his, his feet. They told us in the classes that he wanted to have his feet covered. She goes, yeah, he doesn't follow those rules. He does whatever he wants. He still does. <laughs> and in walks the nurse. I look at her, and I think, she won't know. And now what we do? We keep our mouth shut. We don't tell the truth. We want to hide. We don't want the truth to come out. And she looks at me, and she goes, you're the man who almost killed me three times in the Dumoulis parking lot. <laughs> I said, yes, I'm a first-time father. And she said, I thought it was a guy who was having a very bad day. It's a man who's having a good day. She laughs, and we got through it. I wanted to hide. I wanted to be dishonest. I wanted to leave the elephant on the table. How often do we do that, folks, as Christians? How often do we fail to be Jesus or the nurse, who I almost killed three times, and tell the truth about a situation? Jesus simply says... You guys and us, we hate each other. We call each other dogs, lady. Let's be honest before we move forward. 
You see, when we're authentic about our faith, when we put Jesus as the place that Jesus needs to be, the purpose of our faith, and we make honesty a priority, God can now work in our lives because we start saying things like, I have doubts. I struggle some days. Yes, I'm a Christian, but if you're going to put on me that I have to be perfect, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect except for the Lord. I can be truthful. And when our friends say to us, you believe this? What about this and this and this and this? We go, yeah, you know, we, I don't have the answers to everything. I don't have to fight with you. I don't have to argue with over things. I just have to tell you who changed my life. I just have to testify to what God's doing in my life, and maybe you want the same thing. But yes, I struggle. Yes, I get feeling guilty. Yes, I get feeling empty. Yes, I fail. Because once we can be the way Jesus was with the Syrophoenician woman, we can be honest about our relationships. It doesn't mean you get the permission to go home and call somebody up on the phone and says, Pastor Stan wants me to call you and tell me, I really don't like you, bye. But if we're not honest about our feelings and how we're dealing in our relationships, how's God going to fix them? How many people go through life trying to fake stuff and pretend like things aren't there and everybody else knows that there's something wrong anyhow, but we somehow think that if I put on a good front and I act some way that's not true, that somehow that's going to make a difference. That's not what Jesus teaches. He teaches us to be authentic, to be truthful. Far too many Christians live their life this way, do as I say and not as I do. And we somehow think that others won't notice But you know who notices? We notice ourselves. If I'm not truthful in my own life about my true relationship with God and where I struggle and what's really going on, how's the Holy Spirit going to work with that? I got nothing but a fake faith. And remember to crush her? The reason I loved him as a kid is because he was really authentic to who he is. And that's what Jesus is trying to do with you and me. Get us to the point where we can be truthful about our struggles and who we are and the victories. Because here becomes the last thing I think we learn about an authentic faith in Mark chapter 7. We need a plan. And our plan is to tell others only because you want to. The world does not need more Christians going out telling other people what we really don't believe and somehow trying to get everybody else to believe it and thinking, you know, if... This person will accept what I tell them even though I struggle with it, but I'm not going to tell them I struggle with it because then they wouldn't believe it. Then somehow I'll feel better about myself because now I've convinced them of something that I'm not really sure about. That's one freaking messed up faith, folks. And a lot of Christians live their life that way. You listen to them argue about stuff and you say, are they trying to convince themselves or the other person? And what the Bible teaches us is... We need to talk about stuff when we want to talk about it. Only thing I can tell you about Jesus is what he's done for me. I can't tell you anything else. I can't promise you how everything is going to be in your life. And that's our last part of our text, verses 31 through 37. Because when Jesus healed people, he usually told them to be quiet. It's called the messianic secret. It's amazing. It was actually first discovered in biblical studies in the earlier part of the 20th century, and all of a sudden people started naming it. They said, why does Jesus tell everybody to be quiet? He heals people and says, don't go tell anybody, and then they go tell everybody. Years ago, I met a guy 
who became a Christian. We can blame it on California. It happened in California. <laughs> there, we got a shout out for California. It has nothing to do with California. This is what happened. Guy gives his life to Jesus and goes to church, and the church tells him, you got to go tell everybody. you got to go witness to all your family and all your friends. And he said to me, he started bringing people to church. And he started telling everybody about stuff that he hadn't really experienced himself, and he said it started to become a problem in his life. And by the time I met this guy and he and I became friends, he was really struggling in his faith. And I'm telling you today, he has nothing to do with his faith. He's walked away completely and declared himself to be an atheist. Yet, here's a person who gave his life to Jesus, was told by his church, go tell everybody. But he wasn't ready to tell anybody anything. He needed to grow in his own faith. And when I got to know him, I realized that one of the problems that happened is he was so busy doing what the church told him to do that there was no authenticity and there was no truth and there was no transformation there. Verse 36, Jesus commanded the crowd, everybody who was there, don't tell anyone. But the more he told them, the more they started talking about it. Because you see, when there's something authentic in your life and my life, we can't shut up about it. You hear me? When there is something authentic in our life, we can't be quiet. When we see a sunset, we take that picture and we send it to everybody. When we go to a restaurant and it's the greatest restaurant we've ever been to, we tell everybody, you've got to go to the restaurant I went to. That's the normal thing, and the same thing happens in our life. When Jesus transforms our life, we talk about it because God's done something in our life, not because Pastor Stan told you to go out and invite five friends to church next week, and if you do, I'll tell you you're really a nice person. That might damage your faith. If you're not ready to talk about something, don't just force talking about it. Make it an authentic faith and realize that God works in your life and when things change, we can't keep quiet about it. Imagine you won the trip of your lifetime. All expenses paid. You are going to be able to get on a plane, sit in first class. You're going to have a limo driver who's going to drive you Everything is going to be perfect. There's only one problem. Pastor Stan gets to pick your vacation. And you end up in Minot, North Dakota. <laughs> Why not Minot, you say? And I say, sorry, that, that expression was taken a long time ago. And you get to go see exciting things like the geographical center of North America or the world's largest buffalo. In fact, I have it all planned out that you get to go to Mott. Mott, the spot that God forgot. <laughs> and you come back, you're not going to tell anybody about that vacation. Because there's nothing to testify to. There's nothing that you would have said, wow, that was great. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus loves us and says, don't tell anybody because you have to. Tell people because you want to, folks. Don't tell people because Pastor Stan tells you to go invite people to Faith Community Church. If you experience God in this church, then invite people to this church. If you experience God in your life and Christ transforms your life, then talk to them about the fact that Christ transforms your life. Now, I got a secret for you. Do you know where chapter 8 begins? This group of people who was told not to tell anybody because Jesus didn't want them to tell that they saw a miracle unless they were prepared to tell a miracle that they saw, goes out and tells so many people that chapter 8 begins with 4,000 people showing up to see Jesus. 
You see, our Savior knows what he's doing when he gives us instructions. This is why we want to learn to have a biblical faith. I can give you 10, 10 practices to grow a church. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. I heard Francis Chan one time say, I can grow any church in the world. I can even grow a church that I don't believe in because there's all these principles to do with. That's not what we're here, folks. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to get to know Jesus to have an authentic faith, and an authentic faith that is an honest faith, and an honest faith that once we experience it, we get to tell others because of what Jesus did for us. My Savior is amazing. When you trust in Him, He does things in your life you can't imagine. And I can sit here, and in fact, I have the microphone, so I'm going to tell you one more story of what Jesus did for me, even though our time is out. And I don't care. I want to tell you about the day I got ordained. I grew up in North Dakota. Did any of you know that? <laughs> Why not my not? Not the spot that God forgot. When I met in my denomination with people who told me what to do, I told them I wanted to go to Fort Wayne Bible College. They said, you'll never get ordained if you go to Fort Wayne Bible College. I said, God's calling me to Fort Wayne Bible College, and I want to go there. I'm so glad I met there. David wouldn't be sitting in the front row if I didn't go there, because that's where I met Regina. And I had a foundation that was awesome, because Jesus told me to go there. I don't know why he did. He told me to go there, and it was a great place, and I still have really good friends. And when I struggle, I had something this last week. I called one of my friends from Bible College, and he's praying for me. Then after that, I sat down with the same people who were going to ordain me. They're called the Board of Ordained Ministry and the district superintendent. And I told them I was going to Gordon-Conwell Seminary or Raspberry Seminary, and the looked, guy looked at me. I still remember. He looked at me and my right at me, and he goes, you'll never get ordained if you go to either of those seminaries. You need to go to a Methodist seminary. You went to a Bible college. I said, I did. And he said, we'll never ordain you. I said, well, God's calling me to those two schools. I don't know which one. I ended up at Gordon-Conwell, and now I'm doing my doctor ministry through Asbury. So I guess he really was calling me to both places. And now it comes time for the Board of Ordained Ministry to meet with me. Well, I'm from North Dakota. Anybody notice North Dakota's not next door? So what they did is they sent a group of people out to interview me. So a group of people come out to Massachusetts, I've now been living here for two years. I'm about halfway through my seminary, and I now have an opportunity. Back then, they ordained us deacon first and then elder. And they came and they talked to me. And I told them about my calling to be a pastor and everything, and it went awful. It was horrible. It was negative, and it was painful, and I felt like everything I said, I got nitpicked on, and I felt like every comment that I made, they were like, that doesn't make sense, and nothing was smooth. I mean, after I said, hi, my name is Stan, that was the highlight of the day. <laughs> At the end of all of that, they had asked me ahead of time, well, since you live in New England, could we all go out to dinner? So now I have this group of people who came and met with me who we just had a horrible three hours. And now we all get to go to dinner together and I'll get to pretend that everything's nice. And I wasn't mature enough to have the Syrophoenician thing and say, why do you want to go to dinner with me? You don't even like me anyhow. 
And I get in the car, because I'm driving, and they're trusting me, and I get lost. <laughs> we end up in the combat zone. <laughs> Can this evening go any worse, folks? We finally end up at a restaurant, we have a meal, I take them back to their hotel, I drive home and Regina goes, how did that go? I go, <laughs> they wouldn't ordain me if I was the last person alive. And two weeks later, I get a phone call. Uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-hmm, hmm, mm. okay, thank you. Regina goes, what's that? I said, they agreed they're going to ordain me. She goes, I thought it went poorly. I said, it did go poorly. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We serve him. Amen. I don't care what the U.S. government or the town of Plymouth or your job or your family or anybody else tells you. I don't care what somebody who's a negative naysayer or nabom says about your life or my life. Who do we serve? Him. Who do we serve? Him. Oh, I, we're not there yet. Who do we serve, folks? Him. I want to see every finger up. Him. That's who we serve. We serve our Savior. He loves us. He wants an authentic faith. He wants us to learn to be honest, to learn to realize that all the stuff that we make matter doesn't matter. That when we get to know Him better, He does stuff in our lives that is incredible. And nobody needs to tell us to tell anybody because once we experience the grace and the unconditional love that our Savior has for us. Nobody can keep us quiet. And we don't tell things to people that aren't true. We testify to what Jesus does in our heart.